Good evening, afternoon, morning, or night, whenever you find it most preferable to listen to the Men in Red 97 podcast. As always, I am the pole with a goal, and that goal is to get you know some more goals because it is the first of the month while we are recording this. I am joined by my co-host, DJ. Anner. And Tim. Hey, good to be back. Yes, fantastic. Um, what's also fantastic is that the Fire have won. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess the, the, the postseason picture is, is still possible. So I guess that is something to look forward to as this month chugs on. What's not to look forward to is um, the other Soldier Field team game as uh, the other Soldier Field team as their game ended very miserably. Um, and they are now 0-4. So, yeah, but... Against an 0-3 team. Against, yeah. That has Russell Wilson cooking. So, so, but we do have Connor Bedard on the Blackhawks. And as I'm saying this, they're losing 5-0 to Detroit. But that doesn't matter because that's preseason. And also, we have Connor Bedard. All He's going to end up being the Justin Fields of the Blackhawks. Uh. Yeah, no, no. All I'm going to say on, on the Bears is that Justin Fields had a good game and the problem is very much coaching. That's what I'm going to go ahead and say. Coaching and defense. I'll say that. You do not shotgun on 4-1 and one with this team. You'd think they'd learn that against Week 1 Packers, but mm-mm. No, honestly, the Lauren curve um, on the Bears, it just seems like it, it's like a goldfish where like by the time that something gets through people's heads, it is promptly forgotten and then you have to like rinse and repeat. But by that point, you've already ruined a promising quarterback's career. So you're doing it with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently the other juicy piece of news is that they they deactivated uh wide receiver Chase Claypool and they told him not to come to the game, but he still showed up. So we we this organization truly finds new ways to uh <laughs> surprise us in ways that are tearful. I mean, I will say that there are probably other people on the Bears that showed up less than he did, and some of them were dressed. So that is true. That is true. Um, all I'm going to say is we have Connor Bedard, and that the Blackhawks are truly probably the only team right now that has a chance of like, even though they're they're definitely not going to win, they're definitely not going to make playoffs. They're def it's it's going to be something to look forward to, you know. Being the franchise player of Connor Bedard, I did. I watched his um, his first game against St. Louis, and he had both assists, and just wow, can't wait. But of course, y'all ain't here to listen to us talking about the Blackhawks or the Bears or any other Chicago team. You're here for the fire. You're here to listen to us, Men in Red '97, to talk about our Men in Red. Even though they weren't wearing red, they were wearing their uh, white and confetti-ish away kit for the game. In New Jersey. Uh, what's the place called? Harrison? Harrison, New Jersey. If you haven't heard about it, don't worry about it. Nobody else has it either because it's a That's small That's why I was town. asking. That's why I was asking. There's only two places I know in New Jersey, and that's Harrison and East Rutherford. Why? Because those are where three New York teams play in New Jersey. And, of course, like I mentioned, the Fire have won. But... Uh, I'm pretty sure, Tim, this was you asking this last time when we asked which version of the fire we wanted to show up. And, of course, I said, I want the version of the fire that, like, you know, plays well and can actually, you know, score a few goals to come out. What version of the fire do you all think showed up? Even though this was a win, what version showed up? This is the fire that we've all kind of come to know. <laughs> like, literally, played like absolute dog in the first half. Lucky not to be down, like, what, two goals, I think? Yeah, no. No, three goals. They were lucky not to be down three goals. Just, and then they came off and win the lucky goal <laughs> and then did nothing for the rest of the half except not lose. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's, I mean, I get where that's coming from. So, like, at a high level, the team came out and did not control possession in the first half. Um, they did not got, get a shot on goal in the first half. Um, having said that, I mean, it did take the Red Bulls a while to get a shot on goal. Um, I want to say like the first shot was in like the 15th minute or so. I think that they actually looked pretty good. I, I, I didn't know that they were going to win the game 
But I think that they came out with an energy and a stamina that we had not seen from them in pretty much the past couple of months. And so I, I thought that even though they weren't really doing that much, they were doing nothing offensively in the first half. I felt like it was a much better team than the team that we had been seeing over the past few weeks. And you can just tell, I'm not exactly sure what it is. Like, I don't know if it's like, I don't know, some kind of like ghost that comes and visits and like either inhibits them or makes them better or, or like a zeitgeist kind of thing or like breakfast cereal choices or I don't know what, but it does seem like there's some times where like you can just tell that like it just seems like nobody really wants to be there. And it's not even like you're seeing a team play. That is not what we saw on Saturday night against the Red Bulls. We saw a team that came out. They had, I thought, a coherent game plan. They wanted to play like a team. And I think that they did. Um you know, in the first half, part of the reason that I think that there wasn't a single um, that there wasn't a single shot on goal was because the the team was trying to goad the Red Bulls into playing a style of football that they don't typically like to play with playing out of the back, building out of the back through the midfield and having to create their own chances. And, and I think that they were deliberately trying to do that to to make the Red Bull kind of like not have their game plan go the way that they wanted it to. Yeah, and that definitely kind of surprised me especially because this was, in my opinion, this was the fire. The fire that showed up was the one that looked a bit uncomfortable in terms of handling the ball. Normally, I praise the fire for how well they're able to take the ball from their defensive uh, midfield, from their defensive third and push it up the midfield and getting into the final third. And then usually once we get into the final third, that's where problems are created by our own selves. But this was a fire that really, in my opinion, it, it kind of looked like it, they struggled to get stuff out. I felt like specifically the two players I had in mind were Gaston Jimenez and Dumbia. Those two in particular in that defensive midfield, maybe Gaston not as much. He did have a good, you know, um, you know, he only had a few good dribbles and twists and turns there, but specifically Dumbia. It looked like he was very uncomfortable in that midfield for me to consider that game plan that you mentioned. I completely disagree with it. I think that Dumbia had a better game than Gaston Jimenez by like a country mile. Uh, He had fewer touches, but in the end, he was more effective kind of as as sort of like a number six in the double pivot. He was a lot harder to play through than Gaston Jimenez when the ball got anywhere near Gaston when it was anywhere near a Red Bull player's foot. You just felt like the next time that there was going to be a foot on it, it was going to be a Red Bull foot. Like my notes about the game are all that Gaston misses it. Gaston is out of position with something that like the Red Bulls play through Gaston. Like it's, it's it. I don't think it was a strong performance from him. Um, You know, he had a couple of good touches and there were some moments where he was able to like get a quick pass off and stuff like that. But I thought that Dumbia did what he was tasked to do, which is basically be kind of like a ball destroying number six. And in a double pivot, you kind of have to have an either or. And I don't think that Gaston was doing the defensive responsibilities of the job. And obviously he wasn't jumpstarting the offense either. So I I honestly don't, uh, it just made me feel like Honestly, like the, the problems that we've seen with Gaston Jimenez from the get-go were on full display here. Um, and I, I will say that I think that they both are probably like, you know, decent MLS quality defensive midfielders. I, I think that successful teams have at least one midfielder that is a mile or two ahead of that. And the fact that these are the fires kind of like best two options, especially with Fetty out, and Fetty has kind of like hit a little bit of a, a bump in his development. Um, you know, we just don't have that as a team. And so that's been one of the issues with the squad. Yeah, I guess the reason why I say that is because very early on in the game, um, like in the 16th minute when um, Red Bull was start, was moving away from a uh, fire opportunity that was caught by uh, their goalkeeper, Carlos Miguel, he ends up moving the ball forward to um, Lucas and Dumbia essentially just trips him. Like, but I guess he basically knew that he needed to stop this and that he was at willing to take the yellow card. Exactly, that, that was a very yeah. strategic yellow. He knew from the very he knew what he was getting, and it was a strategic yellow, which again is the kind of smart play. The Fire have enough players that get yellows when they don't want to, <laughs> and without yeah. intending to. So the fact that they were able to get 
like I, I think it shows his game awareness. Like if you look like he was smiling ear to ear as he was getting shown the card because mm. he knew that's what was going to happen. Yeah. Like it was a strategic yellow. I don't hate that because of that. Yeah, you know? I guess. I, I felt like it was just super early on. But then specifically in the 33rd minute, we had um, Brady play a ball out to Carlos Teran. Teran moves it forward to Gaston, who has a very nice dribble. And then once he passes it to Dumbia, first of all, I think the pass to Dumbia was kind of unnecessary. I felt like he could have played it forward to Jairo at that point. I think Dumbia might have been unaware. You could see him. He's kind of like backing up, like unsure what to do. It was a very heavy touch. And then from that point on, um, the ball was yeah. yoinked and it required uh, it required a Chris Brady save um, from Manuel. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that that ball was really salvageable from like just with the amount of, of pace that it hit when it got to Dumbia. And I think that you're right. Like it should have been played farther forward rather than staying in the midfield. And so I think that that was another challenge with it. So that kind of is one of the issues I've had with Gaston is that on one hand, if he's supposed to be this like offensive spark from the D mid, he doesn't play the right balls to do that. And at the same time, he doesn't give you enough on defense. Yeah. You know, he, he does have a skill set. And what's so frustrating is we see, like we saw last game, you know, he, he has tools in his, in his bag. He just doesn't pull out ever Yeah, because when he pulls them out, he looks like a much more successful player, but like, and I just don't know, like I said before, like, is it like a zeitgeist thing? Is it like, do we need a seance? Like, is there like something that is eating? Does he need better? Like, I don't know, but like, there's something that I have not been able to figure out. And obviously multiple coaches have not been able to unlock either. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess me after witnessing a com- multiple collapses of the fire in this season from sort of more from more of less, basically less possession base, I feel the reason that is the reason why I'm, I was a bit critical of, especially of that first half performance. I know that our defense has shown that they can either be like a world class defense, well, world class in terms of like MLS and how well the defense in the league can be. And one point being that wide on goal line clearance in the 45th minute right at the end of the first half. Um, White's, first of all, has stepped up. And I'm glad to see that he is back in the starting 11 as well. So, you know, kudos to Wyatt, and I hope they'll we'll see him uh, up till the end. <clears throat> but yeah, no, uh, first half, you know, you mentioned the fire didn't have any shots on target, and more or less, they had... No shots at all. They had all. no shots at all. It wasn't no shots on target. Like, they, they did not really get a look at the goal. I yeah. mean, but again, to, like, to the fire's credit, Brady didn't see anything until the 13th minute, and there frankly weren't a ton of really solid chances in that first half for the Red Bulls either. Yeah. Um, They did have one goal that was called off because basically there was a fire trip to fell. Yeah, and was studs up on Herbers, who was actually like kind of bearing down mm-hmm. um on John Tolkien who was the guy that would have had the goal if it had counted. Yeah. Um I mean John Tolkien also had a fairly decent chance um in that first half that went fair that went wide but I at first thought I was going to hit the side netting on the right side so you know thank 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 goodness that didn't happen and of course uh, there was also a shot from like um, Tom Barlow that had to uh, require a Brady intervention. So there was like a few chances. There were a few moments where I had to breathe a sigh of relief. But other than that, I guess, yeah. Um, second half, though, second half, we did see a bit more fire in this fire as they the second half was where they registered all five of those shots. Two of them were on target and. Um, the very first shot and the very first one on target was the goal by Kutsias. But right before that goal, around the 61st minute, you had a, a situation where um pretty sure it was Jonathan Dean running on the right side and he gets tripped up by Hassan Dam, who earns his second yellow. Yeah, and his and his first was on the in the 49th minute. So it really was a short succession. Um, the game had been clippy. Like it just felt like the kind of game where there are going to be cards coming out. Um, 
as someone that watches the fire a lot, you're always concerned that the fire are going to be getting a lot of cards because that just seems to be the way that cookie consistently crumbles, but it didn't. Um, so yeah, being up a man, I think certainly helped, you know, spark the offense. Um, also, when you watch back the highlights of it, you can see three kids in like what are, what are like the field side seats. And like you can see as them like you can see the kids realizing what's about to happen. Like the, one of the kids, he's wearing a little Manchester City beanie. He's eating ice cream and he's you can you can he knows what's about to happen. He, he can see the referee pulling into his back pocket. And I think just that's incredibly funny. And then, of course, what happens next is what the fire, I guess, we're looking for. Uh, you mentioned the cookie crumbling. And I guess that was what the game plan was all along. Frankie Klopas, you mentioned that the Red Bulls aren't used to playing a more of a possession-based game. Frankie was like, you know, he essentially fed the wolf so much that it popped. And yeah, it, it was a you know have the ball, do what you want with us, try to break us down. Uh, you know, normally when you do that, especially where the fire play in the mid block, like you want that line to be drawn somewhere in the midfield. Uh, unfortunately, the reason that the fire had those bursts of shots against them was because that didn't pan out, and what should have been happening in the midfield was actually happening on the back line. And so that you know when you get overpowered in the back line, that results in a shot rather than just progression into the final third. Yeah. Um. But, you know, it, it was like, here, have the ball, try to break us down. And, I mean, the, the Fire's back line was very good. Um, Jonathan Dean was starting again. I thought he had a fairly solid game. I think we're seeing some of the limits to his game offensively. But I thought uh, Miguel Angel Navarro had a fantastic game. I, I mean, I, he was flying, like, throughout. He was breaking up balls. He was flying up the wing. He was making good crosses. Like, I just thought he had a really fantastic game. And I thought that Wyatt Omsberg, you know, has been growing more into the game. Like we're seeing more of the form that we saw from last year. And Carlos Theron has just, I mean, he is now a like top level MLS center back when he's having a good game. And, you know, the consistency is still not 100% there, but it's a lot closer than it was just a few years ago. Absolutely. This was a back line that Lopez had a lot of trust for, which is how I guess the game plan worked. It worked out. And then right after uh, the red card, he had a set piece from uh, far out from the right side of the box. Sheridan Shakiri, um, I guess, can deliver very well of pinpoint accurate crosses, is able to find the head of not an opponent, is able to find the gloves of not the opposition goalkeeper, but the head of the Greek striker, Georgios Koutsias, into the back of the net. For fire one nil, and yeah, that was it was a phenomenal goal. You can see how happy Kutsi was when he scored it. Um, it's his third goal of the season. He had been having a strong game, and and something that we saw Kutsi doing all game that we didn't see other fire players doing over the past couple months, especially, is going after the ball, trying to like when it was finally time to like start trying to convince the Red Bulls they needed to play the ball forward. He'd be the guy going to go do that and get it he almost had a you know couple he almost forced the red bulls into a couple giveaways um at a couple points in the match you know i thought he had a really strong match and he definitely deserved that goal oh absolutely and um it was at that moment that the fire held on to that one nil lead and from whence from whence the fire had 10 men um, that was when... The Red Bulls had 10 men when they were up a man. Yeah. When, yeah, in the sense that the Fire were playing against 10 men. I'm sorry. This is what happens when you drink Dr. Pepper while also talking. Um, whilst the Fire were playing against 10 men, you can see that this was where Frankie was like, okay, now back to a regularly scheduled program. And throughout a few spurts, especially from the 85th minute onwards, you had many Fire shots some of which you would be like the from that point on it was a game that the fire should have comfortably won maybe I don't like know if I would say many shots cuz I think that we're talking about uh five shots in total well many um, in terms of like better like like okay that's more than zero that's, I mean, that's many more than zero but it's not I mean I, I thought the game plan from that point on was to be very conservative and the fire maintained the lion's share of possession throughout the second half after that goal and 
they were just happy. I mean, they were happy to put on a passing clinic from like Wyatt Omsberg to Carlos Theron to Miggy to Shakiri. Like it, they were just happy passing the ball back and forth between themselves with very few, like if they had a chance, they were going to take it and try to get on goal. But I don't think that getting a second goal was the priority of the game plan at that point. I think that they were trying to sit and ask the Red Bulls to really try to come to them. And for whatever reason, like the, you know, number one team associated with pressing in the league didn't really press that well. I mean, perhaps being down a man and having the space, but like, you know, it, it worked though. Right. Like that's the thing, like yeah, shutting everything down worked. The, the fire did try to get some chances. Um, obviously none went in the back of the net. And I think some of us were frustrated at a couple points. Oh Yeah. I was definitely frustrated. Specifically, like I mentioned, from the 85th minute onward, you had a shot from Jordan Shakiri. Um, and it was a moment where the fire truly, I think, do best. And that is in that from that through ball in mid from the near the halfway line in midfield, passing it through. You had Marion Holly Salase running up on the right, finding a wide open Jordan Shakiri, who uh takes it with his left and shoots it left. Of the goal, he had an. It was an. It looked like an absolute sitter. I mean, a wide open look at Carlos Coronado's net. Nothing, nothing there whatsoever. Like there, there was no. Like there wasn't anyone in a Red Bull uniform other than the goalkeeper anywhere than I shot. He had time. He had space. He had an open look at goal, and he somehow sends it as as far as I could tell. Like somewhere, he was aiming for like the Philly metro area or something like mm-hmm. that. That ball had a lot of power, but it did not get anywhere close to the goal. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us were frustrated. I mean, that it should have been 2 0 then. Having said mm-hmm. that, the fire blow 2 0 leads a lot more than they blow 1 0 leads. So I guess, you know, um, another moment where the fire decided to attack instead of just passing the ball along the back, like you mentioned, Fabio Herbert plays it back to Johnny Dean. Johnny Dean notices that uh, Marin Hallis Lasse is running forward, lobs it forward. Halle Salase immediately dispossesses it to. Katsper Shibuka. Katsper thinks he can shoot it with his left from right outside the box. Um, unfortunately, it hit the post. Um, or the goalkeeper's hand. Actually, what did it hit? It, it hit the post. It hit the post. Yeah, it hit, hit the, the post. post. It, so, it, I think that then it was battered away. Yeah. So, you know, that's unlucky. Um, if he but, maybe would have tried to keep going a bit forward because he it was essentially a one-on-one. And my favorite part was the camera... Um, the camera from behind the fire goal that was zoomed in on the action is immediately zooming into Katzper of him just doing an absolute Joker smile of like, how oh, it reminds me of that one Batman animative, like Joker smile uh, of him smiling and then auto, like that crooked smile just turning into a crooked frown. That's exactly what happened. So it was sad, it's, but also it's rough because like. I- as much as we can make fun of, you know, like, and I've said this about like Shabilko scoring or inability to score, um, like the guy has hit so much woodwork. Like he, he hits the wood more often than people that are going ax throwing do like it's been ridiculous. By the way, um, speaking about Dean really quickly, uh, before we wrap up this game, yeah, I, I mentioned what I thought about like the limits of what he's doing on the offense right now. Um, I pulled up a heat map for you guys to take a look at. These are all of his touches from uh, the game against the Red Bulls. And I mean, you can see like they are all like right on the touch line. Like he's not he's not moving in anywhere. And then I'm going to show you Navarro's as a contrast. So like Navarro is providing a lot more options at different parts of the pitch. And Dean just seems content to run up and down the touchline. Now, like that, that probably is um, to a large extent, like coaching that is telling him that that's what he's got to do. But, um, you know, I, I think at the same time, like that may be an admission of, of kind of like where he is in its progression to really being uh, a capable starter in this league where he definitely has a lot of the skills. It's just not everything is necessarily there at the same place at the same time. And so try to simplify the game for him to, to make sure that he can make a positive contribution. Yeah. And last, just to end the game, uh, there were a few more shots. One from Red Bull that actually also hit the, uh, hit the woodwork from, uh, Frano Amaya from right outside the left of the box. It hit the woodwork. And I think everyone, including whoever operates the steam slash lights from behind the goal, they, those went off as well. 
Um, so I think some- second time that day because they also did for the uh, Tolkien goal that came off. So like, I really hope that they're paid by the time that it goes off because those guys got paid for there being no goals. Yeah. Which is and then finally, fantastic. there was a uh, once again another fire fast break. Uh, this time, Katzbetter was the one on the front, passing it to the middle of a wide open Guti. Uh, Guti takes a few steps, and you know he has an entire goal to choose from. And he decides to shoot it straight at uh, Carlos Miguel, Miguel Cornell. So that's pretty much how the game ended. Um, you know, 1-0 to the fire. But it, it kind of felt like you wanted a bit more. And the question is, you know, even if postseason is achieved, how will the fire fare, essentially? Like, up from these next few games, how, well, even if the postseason is achieved, what, how, how will we fare? I, I think that that's not, like it's not that promising because you're talking about it. Like the chances of both the Red Bulls and the fire making it into the postseason are pretty much nil. And so that means that if the fire are in that, the Red Bulls probably won't. So the, the fire kind of scraped together a one nil win against a non playoff team in that scenario. And that's not what you really want to be doing. Yeah. If you want to make some noise, DJ, our silent friend in the corner. Do you have any comments? I am very happy the fire won, but yeah, pretty much that's it. <laughs> All right. I mean, I, I, I feel that. I mean, it was an ugly win. It was a crappy win, but, it was but a win is a win. A win is a win. I mean, how many ugly losses have the fire had though? Like so many exactly. games that were 100% in the bag and then somehow the bag is dropped or like it turns out the bag is full of like shrapnel or a grenade or something and explodes in their hand. Like the cake is always a lie. Cake is a lie. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Um, You know, speaking uh, of the playoff, let's go back to the picture of the playoffs. So uh, the win, it puts the fire on uh, level with points with uh, Montreal for ninth in the final playoff spot. They're only a point behind uh, NYCFC in eighth, but they also have a game in hand. Can the fire get there is the question. With our next three remaining games, we have at home against Miami this upcoming Wednesday. We have Charlotte, the last home game this Saturday, and then decision day away at not Yankee Stadium, but City Field. So not the home of the Yankees, but the home of the Mets. It should also be noted uh, of the teams above the fire, NYC, Montreal, and DC. DC is the one that's off on decision day because there's 29 teams in the league, so they will not be playing decision day. So whatever DC does over the next two games, that's it. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting just like the teams that different teams play. Like um, NYCFC, I believe... Their two remaining games um, are against DC United and the Fire, um, and so obviously, like what happens in those games has a huge impact. Like, it, hopefully, you know, if you're a Fire fan, that turns into a draw. I think Montreal, um, like, I think that their next game is against the Dynamo. So against they've got two games against Western Conference opponents, which is sort of interesting. Like, you'd think that they'd be scheduling you know, more in-conference games at the end. And their final game of the year is against Columbus, which is sort of interesting because it's like they're going to to Columbus where their former coach now coaches. Um, but, you know, they're the one team, I think, in the picture that isn't really playing all the other teams. Like, the Fire are, are playing um, Charlotte and Charlotte, Miami, um, and NYCFC. Like, Miami is playing Charlotte twice the fire once so like there's a lot of like these teams can take points off each other going on which makes for some interesting combinations um but like overall like just mathematically speaking in terms of like what typically is required to make the playoffs if the fire win two out of three they're probably in if the fire win all three it would be unheard of if they didn't make it so you know i mean on one hand winning three in a row um well four in a row really is not easy for any team and it's especially not easy against teams that have a lot to you know gain it's like not an early season game where teams are being casual about it 
at the same time, like you have to think like if you want to be a team in the playoffs, you should be able to beat beat teams that are around that like about to be in the playoffs level. So, yeah. So, you know, the push is still on, in my opinion. It, the doors, the door is a lot more open now than it was on Saturday morning before mm-hmm. the game against the Red Bulls. It's it's still unlikely. Like the math is still against the fire. The numbers are still against the fire. The probability is still against the fire, all of that. But like, I mean, when you think about like the postseason, like just like narratives that we talk about in sports, like one of the dominant ones is this isn't like, it is an unlikely run. It is an uncharacteristic run. Like this, the, the, like the team started putting this together at the right time. And that's what you kind of hope for if you're a fire fan is that the team is starting to put things together. And then the other side of it is if you want to like play by the numbers, this team is not a team that typically is going to win three or four games in a row. Like, I, I don't think that like we have enough evidence at this point. Like they're not a team that is really at that level in this league at the same time. They're also not a team that is going to go seven games without a win. And we just saw them do that before. So like you start averaging things out and you know, it kind of feels like it's, it's like right there, you know? Yeah. Let's hope that the fire can at least scrape by or, you know, let's, we can hope of course for better. Let's hope that the fire can do well in the last three games. Um, Two of them at home. So give us a show, give us something to really look forward to. And then of course, uh, the final day of the season, decision day, uh, against the New York City FC. Which, who are, edition. by the way, the only team that the Fire play that are above them in the standings. So That is true. There's that. Like, you know. That is true. Um, speaking of playoffs, the Chicago Fire 2 recently played their playoff game. They also made it by just barely in the MLS Next Pro playoffs. Um, Also against New York Red Bulls, too. Unfortunately, that result didn't end exactly how we'd want to. It ended 4-1 in favor of the Red Bulls. So um, their playoff, you know, contention ends abruptly, you know, so... What what that means is, you know, players like Javier Casas Jr. that have, like, they were playing um, for the Fire 2 on, um, in that playoff game on Sunday. They will be available for selection from the, the main team. Any players that have a first-team contract will be able to be back with the first team now. So that gives Frank Lopez um, a little bit more on his bench. Um, the game was rough. Like, it, it started off, it really was a tale of two halves. Unfortunately, the two halves were in the first half, the fire were not really present. Like they could not get past the midfield um, by the Red Bulls too. I, I really just want them to be called the Red Cavs, by the way. Like uh-huh. Red Cavs is just like right there. Come on. Um, they couldn't, they could not get a good look on, on goal. And they, they just had it. They were getting outplayed. They would never make it anywhere near a real chance. They didn't have any sustained pressure. They would make it to the midfield and they would promptly be disavowed of the ball. Second half, they were decent, and they actually got a goal in the second half. That's when they pulled one back. Um, it was like a very late, kind of almost like garbage time, um, fourth goal by the Red Bulls. But like they were, you know, three one, and then the Red Bull two's goalie decided to put on a show, basically, and um, and honestly, was like at a level that you don't typically see in that league, like or anything close to it in that league. And if that hadn't been the case, it could have been three, two pretty quick. Cause the fire did have pressure. They came out as a, I thought the stronger team in the second half, but not a dominant team. And in the end, it wasn't enough to really make a difference. Yeah. So unfortunate, but you know, congrats for them to, uh, to make it to the postseason of MLS next pro. Um, it, it's the first time. It's the first time, by the way, that the, that any professionals in a fire uniform have been to the postseason since 2017. Um, which is also a game against the Red Bulls where the fire got scored on four times. We're not going to mention that too much, but at least I got one back. Yeah, exactly. So that's movement in the right direction. So we're (laughs) um, (laughs) movement in a direction. We'll say that. um, Our editor in chief, uh, Alex Calabrese has an article kind of just like recapping the the season, the game, um, what it means and kind of does like a quick little analysis of, a lot of the players on the squad, there are some promising young talents on there. 
I don't think there's anyone that is knocking at the door of being a starter in MLS. But um, I, I recommend anyone that's kind of interested in the Fire 2 that doesn't know a lot about it to give them a read. Uh, the games, although they're a little bit tough to find because they're not on the team page, are available on Apple TV. So anyone that has MLS season pass on Apple TV can watch them. Um, you know, presumably that'll still be the case next year. So um, worth checking out. And I mean, again, like it was a fun, you know, fun thing to do on a Sunday afternoon was watching this playoff game. And, you know, I think that a lot of us don't really take advantage of the opportunity to watch those games that we should. So, yeah. So, you know, kudos to him. All right. The big one, ladies and gentlemen, the first of two home games left and the first of three games of the season left Miami enter Miami, which will be the biggest profit game in MLS history at a nearly sold out soldier field. It could be sold out. I think the team was still trying to get it sold out. Uh, some of the things we're hearing about Messi's availability are not helping, probably, but I, I think the team is still going to do what they can to try to get all tickets attributed. For yeah, them. and one thing that they're apparently doing is that they're going to give out LED bracelets for about 40,000 fans, um, turning this into some kind of concert? What, like, what? I, I, I What? Uh, yeah, so I don't know. There, there have been billboards around Chicago in both English and Spanish that say Illuminate the Night. Um... And I think that that's the idea. I don't know if that's supposed to be an extended fire reference. Like, I mean, I bet during the night of the Great Chicago Fire, it was pretty bright. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I, I honestly don't get it. And they, there was an article where Dave Baldwin, the team president, was quoted um, in Bloomberg, and the this wasn't a quote from Baldwin. This was um, something that the that the reporter wrote, but that it was going to create a spectacle like you saw at a Coldplay concert. Like that was actually what that was the band that was listed. And I kind of thought, isn't the idea of a soccer game that the spectacle happens on the pitch? Mm -hmm. I like, yeah, I don't, I don't personally understand that. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, it just feels like it's a little insulting, frankly, to, the players on the pitch, whoever, whoever they are, because I mean, they are professionals. They're there to, I mean, they're there to perform, but like, you know, at a athletic level, but also perform, you know, performing at a high level athletically is supposed to be entertaining. That's the idea of going to a sports game. Yeah. Like that's the difference between that and going to like Disney on ice where there's also a high display of athleticism in front of you, but it's a different concept. I think the only, um, the only sports game that comes to mind where people are, entertained not just what's on the pitch but also what's off is the super bowl you know with all the and, and i don't know if you spectacles and whatnot and the thing is with the super bowl is like the the people that are there at the halftime show don't actually have tickets at the game like they're there for the halftime show and then they're kind of like booted out so i mean again we don't know how the team is doing this it could be that they're only doing it at certain times of the game i can't imagine they would have the led bracelets lighting up like throughout the at the run of play like maybe if there's a fire goal or something like that I, I i just can't quite place together i mean I, there there may be a respectful way to do this that respects the athletes on the field i can't really see it right now and frankly yeah. like that's kind of frustrating to me but i guess we'll figure out once we get there yeah um we'll we'll, we'll see what happens um of course even though this is like like we've mentioned, this is going to be like one of the biggest profit games in MLS history at a nearly sold out Soldier Field. Bracelets are not. The question looms, will Lionel Messi play? And of course, Messi went off in the um, game against Orlando that finished 1-1. He ended up leaving... Um, or no, what did he leave in an earlier game? No, he left in the game against Toronto. I apologize. Correct. Yeah. Uh, that's my bad. He left in the 37th minute of the Toronto game, which still ended even after he left 4-0, but then again, it's Toronto. Um, afterwards, uh, Miami went on to lose the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup to Houston Dynamo, so they went on to win their second Open Cup, if I'm correct. Correct. Second, uh, their first was 2018. Mm -hmm. um, and this is actually their coach, Ben Olsen's second cup. 
Uh, he won. He coached DC United to an Open Cup victory over, I believe, Real Salt Lake in 2013. And um, I mean, what a redemption story for Ben Olsen, which is a, a completely different conversation. But um, I think that a lot of us that were watching that game were rooting for the team in orange, um, partly because you know they had Kalen Carr, who was on the last uh, Open Cup winnings fire team, um, playing for them. Um, not for the second Open Cup run, but he played for them later in his career. And just because they were the team that was beating Miami, who, you know, had once already won a trophy this year. Yeah. And then their most previous game against our last opponent of the season, New York City FC, um, at home, where they rallied in the final minute, um, 95th minute, to equalize, make it 1-1. And we actually were looking at pictures here of the home crowd in that game, and you you mentioned something about how the stands are colored, and I, Tim, about how the stands so, are colored at at the stadium in Fort Lauderdale, which was meant to be the stadium long term for their reserve team, but it's currently where the you know main team plays. the The seats are colored in like a pattern, so it's not one color seat. They're sort of like alternating, like lighter pink, darker gray, and then the like darker sort of like fuller pink that. Um, basically comprise the colors of like Miami's jerseys. And because of that, from a distance, it's kind of difficult to see if it's a person sitting down or if it's just an empty seat. And I think that that's deliberate, especially doing it in an alternating pattern because it makes it a little bit more visually interesting than just seeing a giant block of like, you know, dark colored seats or light colored seats or something where it's obvious they're empty. But early on, you could see fans in the opening minutes when it was clear that Messi wasn't on the pitch and wasn't on the bench they were in seats and they were leaving. They were heading for the stands in like the first and second minute. And by the second half, there were a ton of empty seats in, in Miami, well, Fort Lauderdale. Um, and I think the question that a lot of us have is what's going to happen with the fire um, for the match at Soldier Field when there's already a lot of information circulating that it seems like Miami is probably going to be arriving without Messi. Or if he's, if he's arriving, he's not going to be dressed. Yeah, we do have two reports um, that we got. Uh, one is a source indicated that Lionel Messi sustained a two-centimeter hamstring tear confirmed via MRI, likely shutting him down for the remainder of the MLS season. The injury was picked up during Argentina's World Cup qualifier match against Ecuador before being re-aggravated against Toronto. That was, again, uh, that was via Cad Delisa. And then recently from... Gaston Edul, who covers the Argentine national team, has over 750,000 followers on uh, Twitter, or X, however you call it. I, I will never call it X. I can Let's call it 10. Call it 10. <laughs> yeah. Um, he tweeted in Spanish, translated English, uh, Leo Messi would not play against Chicago Fire next Saturday the 7th is the last match in the preview of the Argentine national team matches, parentheses, Inter-Miami-Cincinnati. And parentheses, they aim for him to be able to add minutes in that game, um, basically hinting that he's not going to play against the fire. Yeah, and and what I've heard, I've got a, a decent Miami source that has a good track record. Uh, their belief is that the next time that he's going to play in an inter-Miami jersey will probably be decision day. I think obviously a decision day is pointless. That may be reevaluated depending on how healthy he is. It's very clear that they're making smart sporting decisions around mm -hmm. him. I mean, I think that, like, they've won a trophy this year. Um, I think winning the trophy, in a way, was like icing on the cake. Um, I think him just being here was enough to make it a successful season in a lot of ways for anyone in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, like, in those front in that front office. Um, I think the idea is that you win trophies next year. Like, I, I think that next year they will have to be one of the favorites for pretty much everything that they compete in, which includes, you know, because of how far they made in the league's cup, CONCACAF Champions League or CONCACAF Champions Cup. Now, like the MLS Cup supporters, Shield, like they're, they're just going to be a favorite for everything. Yeah. And so I think that this year is sort of like, yeah, if they make it to the playoffs, they make it to the playoffs. But like, I don't think that that's the goal. And I don't think anyone wants to do anything that potentially jeopardizes Lionel Messi, Jordi Alba, Sergio Busquets, or, you know, any of the players on that team really long-term. Yeah, because, you know, like, kudos for them having Messi and for Messi really making, of course, not only an impact in terms of people viewing MLS, but also just an impact on the pitch as well. You know, he scored plenty, he's assisted plenty and whatnot. 
And <clears throat> they're, of course, having to be smart right now in terms of how Lionel Messi is playing because, you know, he played a ton of games uh, over these last few weeks and all that because he's played in Leagues Cup. He's played now in MLS. Um, so he's featured And he was a playing lot. for... PSG up through June. Like, that's the thing. Like, he didn't really have a proper offseason in any sense of the term. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, yeah. Like, because the times when everyone else has been off over the past, you know, year, like the World Cup, well, you know, we all know, like, he played in the World Cup final. Like, he had the least time off from the league, from the World Cup to the resumption of league play. Like, the guy hasn't had an offseason. And we've seen that as an issue with players arriving from leagues around the world before even when they're not sort of like in their mid thirties, like Messi is. So um, I think it's clear. Like, I don't think that Tata Martino is worried about his job security. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Uh, you know, the Miami head coach just knows that everything is about preserving, preserving Messi for next year yeah. um, and trying to do things over the next year or so. Yeah. Um, but I, I still think, I mean, honestly, like I, I think it could be a really good game. It's going to be an interesting game for Frank Klopas to prepare for. Um, on Wednesday, because we've seen three or four different versions of the Miami team based on which of their star players are available. They play a certain way when Messi's available, but Alba is and Busquets is, but they play a different way when Busquets is the only one available, which is what we've seen lately. And I think it's not entirely clear if Alba may be available. Like, So it's it's a difficult challenge for Frank Klobos to prepare for on Wednesday, but you know, it's it, in some ways, I think that some parts of these teams line up against each other pretty well. Yeah, after watching highlights of the NYC game uh, against Miami, I feel like that could be a very similar game in terms of what the fire and in terms of what will happen from both sides of the team based on, of course, our game against Red Bulls and their game against New York. I feel like it could be a very similar game um, that finished against NYC FC. Um, so that's kind of leading into and NYCFC had the first goal in that game, and like they they had very little of the ball. They had mm-hmm. like thirty five percent possession, and yet it seemed like they were the team that was more likely to win it throughout. No, and not absolutely, just they got a late goal. So like I think that's a template. Like I would I wouldn't be surprised if once again the Flyer were willing to concede a lot of possession, like we saw against the Red Bulls. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that that means that they're necessarily being outplayed. I think it means that that's the game that they are playing. Yeah. And if Frankie Klopas has trust in his back line to do that, then, you know, Frankie, take the wheel. Um, so, of course, our last game that we played against Miami was in Miami uh, all the way back in March. So, you know, this is this, the second leg of the fixture has been a long time coming. Uh, this is one where the Fire actually won um, 3-2 thanks to a... Uh, rather leaving it late Kai Kamara goal in the 92nd minute uh, where we saw goals uh, from Franco Negri in the 45th plus third minute, uh, Nicolas Stefaleni in the 76th, and then we also saw fire goals from Carlos Terran in the 38th, as well as a name that we haven't said in a hot minute, Chris Mueller. Um, you know, so. Who opened the scoring that match, right? Um, I believe. He, yep, he was the one that opened it. Where the fire took it, actually, they took a 2 0 lead. Um, thanks to Carlos Teran, and then Negri and Stefaleni equalized, making it 2 2 because, of course, the fire can't hold on to 2 0 leads. Uh, but then Kai Kamara, uh, he took the wheel in that situation. And- Probably the time winner. Yeah. But I, I think, again, that was another game where the fire, like, had, like, they were. Complete, like they had very little possession. I think that Miami dominated possession in that match. Yep, but sixty-seven percent for Miami. Yeah, but from what I recall, like it was sixty-seven percent possession. Possession, but, like, but the fire but had the fire seventeen had, shots to Miami's eleven. Right. So, like, it was a game where, like, the possession thing, like, possession doesn't always tell you everything. Like, mm-hmm. on the whole, a lot of teams do better when they have the ball more than they have less. But like, sometimes that's just a byproduct of being a better team. Yeah. Um, where the better team will dominate possession, but sometimes the teams, if they're about equal, they'll let you like one team will let the other have the ball and say, all right, like here, mess this up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what we saw then. It's, I mean, it's a very different Miami team. I want to say that there's at least seven or eight changes um, to the starting 11 
that we're likely to have seen from that game. I mean, it's a, it's a radically different yeah, team. This is a very, very different team. Different Out of coach, any uh, team that has changed or like updated themselves throughout the season, there is none that has done as more as Miami. Even without but, Messi. But I mean, DeAndre Edlund was on both squads. I would expect him to start um, on Wednesday. So if you're a DeAndre Edlund fan, um, you're probably in luck. Same thing with Drake Calendar. He's going to be starting again. So, like, those are the two guys that are, are going to be there. Um, I honestly don't necessarily know. I mean, maybe, like, Sergey Kristoff is probably going to start. I just can't. I, I don't think that anyone else that started that game for Miami is really going to be in the 11 um, on Wednesday night. Yeah. Do you know who um, Miami is really going to be missing, though, for that game? Breck Shea. <laughs> oh man, I love a good Breck Shea reference. I <laughs> that's going to be that's what they're going to be missing. Honestly, like I really hope that there's going to be like at some point like MLS bars like where there's like MLS trivia games played, and Breck Shea will be the answer to so many random pieces of MLS trivia. <laughs> yeah, um, we stand the other person here. The other person that will not be in the lineup is Harvey Neville because he's now loaned out to a USL championship team. Um, almost like when your dad stops coaching the team, you no longer uh, get to be considered a part of it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, again, like I, I do honestly think it's going to be a good game. I mean, it, it looks like the forecast for Wednesday night seems pretty good uh, in terms of weather. So like you never really sure. Uh and like it's going to be a good day on the lakefront you know like the high is going to be 80 a warm night in october like great time to get out obviously like you know it's odd because it's like i'm trying to sell tickets which i have no interest <laughs> in doing really because it's not my money no but, but um, I, I get it because i mean especially in the big like i said we keep bringing it back but the beginning of the season just had such just not good weather it was just cold and drenched and miserable that even that any kind of good weather is just something really good, something really to look forward to. And then on Saturday, it's going to be a bit chillier, um, a lot more colder, but it'll still be nice. So because right. like after this week, we'll definitely see some of the temperatures dropping a bit more because we're still summer is even though we're in October, the next few days, the remnants of summer will be lingering um, and, so, and that's going to be great. So, like, again, like, I think that there's going to be people that are considering not going because they bought tickets to see one particular player, um, not DeAndre Yedlin, who plays for Miami. And, I mean, I hope that they still come out because, like, I think it should be a good, entertaining game. And I think it's going to be worth watching. Like, you know, I have a friend that's coming to his first fire game ever. He is a huge um, Peruvian fan. So, it, in a way, it's like he, he hates everything about Argentina, but he just, like, is, like, Messi's the GOAT. And he's still really excited about coming to his first fire game, partly because it's the fire. Uh, Alan, I hate to tell you, uh, he plays drums. So uh, maybe you'll have either a friend or, or a competitor. Um, friend, next year of in course, the he's section. always friend. Uh, yeah, he's a really great guy. You'd love him. Um, I hope you get a chance to meet him at the tailgate or something. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm, there's one person I'm trying to... Uh, see if they'd be able to come to their first fire game. Uh, they haven't given me back a concise answer yet, so hopefully they can. DJ, you've been incredibly quiet this episode. Um, do you have anything to input with Miami? I wish I could go. <laughs> I know. We, 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 we miss you, man. If you yeah. want to get here, I can get you a, I mean, I'll get you a ticket if you want to get here, but the flight's on you. Yeah. Uh, nah, I, I, I kind of can't I can't miss work. All right. Well, you know, <laughs> fine. Wait, we huh. just need we just need to invent teleportation. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But not without Messi, I think the fans might be a little bit disappointed, obviously, but But it'll be but it'll be a yeah. lot of people's first MLS game, first Chicago Fire game. And I think that's what MLS is aiming for when it came to Messi coming to the league. It's like they, they know people will come to the games. But they're hoping that people will come to the games, be like, "Hey, this 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 is kind of cool," and they will stay for the next few games, and heck, maybe even for even more games, because that's sort of how it was for me. Once once you go to your first game and you see how things are, 
you really stay because my sister, she has been a I hate sports ball person for her entire life. And it took her and it took me singing the national anthem at a Bulls game to go out to her first ever sports game. And when she went to her first Bulls game, she was open for any other game. And I actually brought her to her first fire game a few games back as well. So, you know, one game is all it takes. Yeah. I mean, it's great when things like that happen. I'm like, it, it, I think that bringing people in is great. I, I think the team has tried to do a very good job of getting people in that are prospective fire fans. Like they didn't just like release all the tickets on Ticketmaster and let dynamic pricing, you know, go basically to the highest bidder. They try giving it to like season ticket holders, tried using this as an opportunity for bringing season ticket holders in for people that have been to games, but hadn't really, you know, really wanted to commit to that. They've, they did like a three game package thing. Um, so yeah, I mean like, again, like it, it's a fun time. Like they're like, I mean, obviously like we're preaching the choir here, but you know, hopefully it's an opportunity for people to help sell this to friends and family that, um, didn't necessarily think about going to games before. And I think that it's happened somewhat. Like, I don't know if you guys have encountered this. Well, DJ, I mean, obviously you less than us, but like where you start talking about the fire and people are like, Oh yeah. Like, Oh, where do they play? And then you'd like, Oh, they play at soldier field. And like you mentioned, they didn't know they came back. The team Mm -hmm. has marketed the heck out of it. Like it has been on like so many billboards, buses. Like I thought you couldn't avoid it. But then again, the number of times you see an ad and you don't process it, you don't look at it. Like we've trained our brains to not really look at advertising that's directly in front of our faces. And, and so I think that this has been a very effective way for the team to kind of like cut through that clutter and get into people's attention. Like here we are, we're a soccer team that plays at soldier field. Um, Unfortunately, you know, Messi, it looks like will not be playing his third game um, of all time at soldier field, but uh, we'll always have Messi and friends 2013. Um, to rely on, <laughs> but yeah. you know, like I, I, I'm sorry, I just no. wanted to say that, especially like you mentioned, through the clutter that is the other five Chicago teams. Um, you know, the season has ended for both MLB teams. Um, you know, it's barely preseason for the Blackhawks in the NHL. Uh, Bears fans are over it. So, and then you know. Uh, the NBA season is still a bit of a way. So this is opportune time to, like you say, break through the clutter that is five other major league teams in a market that has been oversaturated with those teams. By the way, I um I have a couple of friends that were like, hey, can you get me into the Miami game? And I'm like, sure, I can buy a ticket on Ticketmaster just like you. And here's what they're costing, um, you know, weeks ago. And they're like, oh, never mind. But then I was like, but they're playing on Saturday um, against a different team, but like it's around level and like, it should be a good game. It's the last home game of the season. So it should kind of have like a festive atmosphere. And they're like, how much is that? I'm like, oh, I'll just buy you that ticket. They were receptive to that. So, you know, it's good to hear. Yeah. All right. Uh, any of y'all have any predictions of, of the Miami game? I said, you know, I said so, that we'll see something similar um, to their NYC game or our Red Bulls game, I'm probably going to say it's going to be a 1-1, one, one, one all affair. That was going to be my prediction too, only because when I predicted the fire win, they don't. And so I'm just going to stick with one nit, like 1-1 one, one for the rest of the year and maybe it'll, it'll keep on being 1-0s. All right. DJ. I'm, I'm going to say uh, it ends 2-1. I get a feeling this is going to be one of those games where there's like a late goal. I don't know who the late goals comes from. I don't know who scores it, which side, but it's going to be 2-1. All right. Fantastic predictions. So, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, thank you, as always, for joining us here at Men in Red 97 for the Men in Red 97 podcast. Um, if you haven't already, because, you know, you've listened all the way to the end, hit the follow button uh, on wherever you get your podcasts, as well as check out meninred97.coms for all the articles, including the one that Tim mentioned from our uh, writer-in-chief, Alex, about the Fire 2 and their season, as well as other articles and podcasts from Men in Red 97. Uh, yeah, there will be a full match preview um, yeah. about the Miami game available Tuesday morning. Um, we preview every game. We recap every game. We do this all just for you. Just just for y'all. So, um, 
As always, I've been Alan the Pole with the Gold, joined by DJ and Tim. Come on, you men in red. red. Come on, you men in red. Yee.